Coyote Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. On this episode of Celeb Savant, I'll be speaking to Sophie Ellis-Baxter. She's an English singer and songwriter, and she first came to prominence in the late 1990s as the lead singer of the indie rock band The Audience. After the group disbanded, Ellis Baxter went solo, achieving success in the early 2000s. Her music is a mixture of mainstream pop, disco, new disco, and 1980s electronic influences. This is Celeb Savant with Sophie Ellis Baxter. So this Lovely. is Barrett Edelstein, Celeb Savant, and today I'm with the awesome and brilliant Sophie Ellis Baxter. Sophie, where do we find you in the world? What's happening in your life? And tell us what's going on. So right at the moment, I'm at home in London and I'm just about, after I speak to you, I'm going to pack my bags because um, I've got a very busy weekend of festivals and gigs. So um, yeah, I'm going to get all my little sparkly things and squish them into a bag. Um, but yeah, life is good. It's been a lovely summer. Yeah. So it's been really nice. I heard it's been quite a heat wave over there. Yeah. And what's really strange for the UK is it hasn't really abated. Normally we might have a bit where we have hot weather and then mm -hmm. it kind of breaks and then you go back to the normal weather, but it's just been hot sort of consistently. So everybody's starting to get kind of used to it, which is very different <laughs> for here. <laughs> okay, so let's take it all the way back to the beginning, to the beginning of when you started off performing with the audience. Tell us about mm. that journey and Sophie's journey. Oh, well, so the audience was um, an indie band that I, I was in when I was I started when I was 16. And basically, I, I can kind of credit my day job to, to that band because at the time I was still at school and I absolutely loved music. I was a passionate music fan, but I hadn't really thought of singing as something to do for a living. So I was out one night and a friend said, oh, I've got a friend who's looking for a singer in a band. And I thought, oh, that's probably something I should do so I can tell my grandkids I used to be in a band once. And as soon as I started singing in the band, I thought, oh, I think I found what I was looking for. And unfortunately, the, the band split up by the time I was 20. But it was a real sort of roller coaster in learning lots about the music industry and about songwriting and about being in a group and touring and being on a tour bus and all the stuff that then ended up being part of my life for, for the rest of it. <laughs> tell us about your creative process in creating music. What, tell us more about that. How does that happen? Is it different each time? How does a song come from? zero through to a three four minute beautiful piece of work oh. well it depends really different songs have got different little little journeys but i think the most typical way of songwriting for me is to work with um a collaborator because i really love bouncing ideas off someone and happily most of my long-term collaborators are also friends so the last uh three albums I've done have been written with a guy called Ed Harcourt so we'll turn up in the morning we'll have a chit chat about loads of stuff and then we'll just start I don't know one of us might have an idea of something that's inspired something or a mood we want to do we just take it from there but we're both quite fast so we tend to finish a song in a day when we work together which is quite satisfying I think both of us are quite impatient so we just want to get it done <laughs> <laughs> and you've got that new song out Hypnotize with mm. Y.O. Uh, music correct so how did yes. that collaboration come to be so what I actually approached me, um, oh, it must be two years ago now. It was right at the beginning of, of lockdown. Um, and he, he wrote Hypnotized and then he had a, a sort of vision of me singing it and sent it my way. And I didn't know Pete, as his real name is, at all, but I really loved the track. So we had a little chat on the phone. 
really got on and started chucking ideas back and forth for finishing off the record and that song. And uh, yeah, it's just been a joy. We met in person for the first time uh, in spring this year mm -hmm. because I did a gig in Glasgow in Scotland, which is where Pete's from, and he came on stage and um, helped me with... I've got a little dance routine that I do when I sing it, so I get all the crowd doing it. And so Pete was up there doing it with me as well. But um, he's a really talented guy, and he and I share a love of wonky pop, so we were very happy to be doing this together. What, did, did you say wonky pop? Yes, wonky, yes. You know, when things are not quite straight, they're a little bit off okay, kilter. Okay. I like that feeling a lot. Okay. Well, what does that feeling bring you? Well, I suppose specifically with Hypnotized, I think it's one of those songs where you finish it and you think, what did I just listen to? Because it, it almost sounds like a waltzer, you know, those mm -hmm. fairground rides where mm -hmm. it sort of starts off spinning and then by the end of it, you're twirling around faster and faster. And I think, you know, that's that's a side of pop music I really love where it kind of grabs you and twirls you around for a bit and you don't really you don't really know which way's up for a minute. I think that's a nice feeling. It doesn't yeah. happen all the time. <laughs> Now, your music videos, I love your music videos, uh, Murder on the Dance Floor, that whole little thing that's happening there. Tell us more about your creative process around your uh, music videos. Are you hands-on uh, in the whole process? How do they come to be? Yeah, I'm very hands-on. I, I love making videos. I mean, I know some artists and bands find them a bit of a chore, but for me, it's pure delight. And that's probably largely in part um, down to the fact that I started working um, right at the beginning of my solo career with the director called Sophie Muller. So she did my first video for Take Me Home. She did Murder on the Dance Floor. And now, fast forward to now, she's just done the one for Hypnotized. So I've worked with other people, but predominantly it's Sophie. We've done... I don't know, it must be getting on for nearly 20 videos together now. So we know each other really well. We share a similar love of the same things aesthetically and we can bounce ideas back and forth very easily. And she's she's brilliant. She's an absolute, you know, she's just got such a brilliant eye. She's really sharp. She's really consistent. I love the world she creates. So I think when you're making a video, you've got to trust the person behind the mm -hmm. camera because you put yourself out there and you give the performance. But in my mind's eye, I always... I always share where it is we're headed with it. And I think when you've got that, then you're just you're just having a lovely time. And sometimes we work out like trips. So I remember one time I really wanted to go to Mexico. So we just made up a reason why we needed to be in Mexico and then film two videos there. We've been to Italy, we've been to Iceland, we've been to Ibiza. We've, we've done loads of trips wow. around the place just just because it's, it's really fun to go away and film a video. <laughs> and how long does a video filming normally take? From start to finish, a couple um, of days, oh, a week? No, I mean, it depends. Like the one for hypnotizers, one day. We'll sort of take what you find. I mean, I think when I did things like Catch You, that was three days, I think. Um, you know, the Mexican trip, we were probably there four or five days. That, well, I, I think you can fill the space we're given, but generally, it's you're not given more than a day or two. But oh. that's it's so much fun. It's like, it's amazing how much you can pack into a day yeah. when you've, you know, got this like little team on board and you're like, right, let's get it done. And we actually filmed a video during lockdown as well, which I think was quite a coup because obviously most people weren't weren't doing very much at all. But we went we went all around London and we started with tiny venues right through to the O2, which is a 14,000 capacity arena with all of them completely empty. And there was a song called Crying at the Discotheque and I just performed it over and over again and each venue getting bigger, yeah. really highlighting all the industry that, that wasn't happening. It was wow. actually a really quite... A, quite moving actually you sort of forget about how many jobs are involved in every venue you know that that's that alcazar song crying at the disco yeah yes, yeah yes, yes, exactly. yeah that's cool cool track 
uh, I saw you got busy with your kitchen disco during lockdown. What inspired mm. that whole concept? So the kitchen disco, um, it just became a regular fixture in our lives during the during the lockdowns, during the pandemic. So we, every Friday night, would broadcast 6.30 on my Instagram um, live. We'd do a disco. So I'd try and sing some of my songs, some covers. I say try because I have a lot of children yes. and they were everywhere. <laughs> so it was just my husband filming it on his phone, me wearing something twinkly, you know, having a go at singing and then and also sort of breaking up fights with the kids or <laughs> stopping them from climbing the walls or whatever they were doing. Um, but actually even though they were the most bonkers thing I've probably ever done, they also were the thing that kept me the sanest in what was, you know, an extremely strange time. And um, it was Richard's idea. He he said it for the first one, and I, I thought he was crazy, but I also didn't really have anything else I was doing. So I was like, I think I finished the first one saying, I think that's the end of my career. <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty sure everybody would think I just lost the plot very early on, but... But through it, we actually formed a community and people yeah. from all around the world came. And it was it was actually kind of extraordinary. Mm. I still find it quite hard to process it because it was just so, it's quite magical in a way. It was magical. I remember watching one of them and uh, you were busy singing and then you were busy with the kids. Stop it, stop it. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that was happening all the time. I mean, it was completely fully live, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. and my children... You know, they they didn't really think about it. Like it was just like, okay, we're going to have a disco on Friday night if you fancy it. Yeah. They didn't know people watching. They were just at home with their mum and dad. You know, and the youngest at the time was one, eldest was sixteen. So you know, five of them, anything wow. can happen. Yeah. <laughs> 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 now, do, uh, tell me, the kids with your do they recognise you as this pop star? Or do they just recognise you as mom? Was a hybrid. I hope just mum. I mean, they're obviously most of them now that they're a bit older are, are, are pretty aware of what my day job is. My youngest is three, so for him it's still pretty abstract, but most of them know what I do. But, you know, the thing I've always loved about the fact that I'm lucky enough to raise a family alongside what I do is that when, when I'm at home and talking to them, it's all about what's happening in their lives. You know, I'll, I'll tell them what, what work I'm up to if they're interested, but... You know, yeah. it's like any any kid's relationship with their parents' work. You don't really think about it very much, mm. do you? You know, you really just want to have, you know, someone to chat to at breakfast time and tell what's going on at school or whatever. So it's it's something that's a back. It's somewhere in the backdrop of our lives, but it's not really where the emphasis is. I wouldn't say. I remember you've you entered Strictly Come Dancing and The Masked Singer. Watched you on both. Mm -hmm. Tell tell us about those two experiences. Well, I mean, both obviously a little, you know, outside of the norm for what I normally do, but both very different. I mean, The Masked Singer was, um, I'd say, incredibly playful. I didn't feel nervous on that at all. I was just in a silly outfit. There was a really good atmosphere. You know, you just get up there. I tried to disguise my voice. The judges worked out who I was straight away, which felt really odd. And then, um, you know, it was just really fun, but very quick, whereas Strictly... Um, kind of took over my life for a few months because um, I ended up uh, doing that from, it was like August, I think we started and I got all the way to the final, which yeah. was brilliant, but it also meant that that was like literally all my head, my brain cells could cope with for a few months. Yeah. So um, Strictly was a lot more involved. It was absolutely petrifying, um, but it was quite cool to take on a new challenge and I had a lot of fun. And then I think it probably... I think it helped me in my day job, really, because it sort of took away a final few bits of inhibition, I reckon. Because suddenly it's like, you know what, just get out there and do it. Mm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, 
terrifying. So did it become easier over time learning those dances or because they became more intricate and more involved and more developed, it wasn't as easy because you had to remember more? I think what actually I noticed, I started to trust in the process more. Okay. Um, I used it as advice for people when they're trying to learn things, that your brain is doing a lot of work even when you don't think it is. So if you're trying to do something really tricky and trying to memorize something, you know, there'll be the bit of kind of active memory. And then there's a bit where you go, oh, this bit just isn't sticking. I cannot get, like, for some reason, that bit always trips me up. That's the time to stop, walk away, do something else, sleep on it. And nine times out of 10, when you come back to it the next day, it's your brain has somehow sort of worked it out. Okay. Uh, I, I really start, I think I, it was, it would never got easier to learn things, but I think I started to relax more about, about the process of memorizing something new. But yeah, it was still, it was never not ridiculous. You know, you start a Paso Doble on Monday and then on Saturday night yeah. you dance in front of a million people on telly. Like, that's just absurd. Like, what a crazy way to spend a week. <laughs> <laughs> and must have been exhausting and tiring and made you very fit. Um, it was, but you're so adrenalized. Yeah, I, I didn't feel, so. I didn't feel tired at all. I felt really, yeah, you're full of adrenaline. You're, because you're, you know, you're surging towards this, this night where you have to, it has to be all right on the night and then you'd have to find out if you get through to the next week and then if you do you're like really over the moon and then you get through and you start another one so it, I don't think the exhaustion happened until I finished and then your brain just kind of goes mm, and it's like <laughs> all that all that processing it was like my brain just kind of shut down yeah. for about a week I just couldn't really think about anything right. <laughs> and now back to the mask singer are those outfits uncomfortable they look so uncomfortable well, I think I kind of got away with quite a good one because some of the outfits are very involved, but my one was um, essentially a cat suit, not that dissimilar to something I might wear on stage anyway, um, and then a head on top. So I didn't have one of those really big, mm. you know, heavy ones. Some people were being helped around by like four or five people. They had fans on all the time. My one wasn't really that hot. The only thing I found a bit strange is that when you put the head on, I couldn't see that well. And because you've got your your monitors in your ears so that you can hear when you're singing. So because you put that on, you then can't hear anything else. So for me, it was a little bit like, um, it felt like waking up from an accident and trying to assess what was wrong with you. Because you could hardly see, you could hardly hear. Wow. And people are kind of helping you around. So it felt like, it felt like um, I'd been sort of like, have my senses deprived. Um, so I was quite relieved when I got to sing with my own head again. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think maybe by like trying to disguise your voice allowed you to be, I don't like the word, but to be ex uh, taking a mask off first? Because by disguising your voice might have skewed people's... Uh, maybe. I don't know. It's really hard to be objective. But yeah. um, I, just, I just know it was like really good fun. And I have to say the team that work on the show are completely lovely. Like... I was really impressed with all the backstage people. Like everybody was so nice that it was just a really, I mean, I don't know if you know this as well, but even if you're in right to the end, the entire show is filmed over 10 days. Oh, wow. And, okay. I didn't know that. For like, I think it went out about five months later. Yeah. So it's strange because obviously when it airs, it's weekly and it goes on for ages, but yeah. everybody's actual experience of it is, is not even, it's like a week and a half maximum. Oh, so wow. it's quite, it's quite an intense little period. Yeah. Um, and obviously, as the first one out, um, I was I was actually the second show, but then they were like, "Oh, we're going to flip the order," and I'm like, "Oh, great! Now I get up first. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I was only there for like three or four days because it was like rehearsals and then a big finale, and then 
and then my days. Yeah. <laughs> I got a bite-sized experience, but I did like my and <laughs> She was sweet. Focusing on music. Now, when you first started, your career was CDs, more CDs, um, and CDs and vinyls and cassettes are coming back into play. Thank goodness. I love my, <laughs> I love my CDs. But now it's all these digital platforms. What are your thoughts of the way people are now consuming and listening to music? Well, before I'm a musician, I'm a music fan. So I'm I'm the same as everybody else. That's how I'm accessing music. And personally, I kind of love it. Um, I think, you know, when I was growing up, if you liked a song or an artist or a band, you had to make a very sort of public declaration because you had to go to the record shop. And if you couldn't find it on the shelf, you had to ask for it behind the counter, you know. And that, that was great, but it, I think it kind of almost... You had to sort of prove your dedication before you'd even got home and listened to it. Whereas now you can sort of dip your toe in the water of so many things. You could hear something on the radio in the morning and then by the afternoon you've like streamed the back catalogue and you're like, actually, I love these other songs as well. I think from my point of view, that's that's pretty brilliant. I love being able to access lots of music. I like the fact that I can think of a song I haven't thought of for, eight, thought of for ages and find it. Um, I'm sort of all, all for it. I think, that, I think there's a real democracy in that i mean obviously the other side of it in terms of how the actual music is remunerated is not democratic at all yeah. but as a fan like on that side of things i think i think it's mainly mainly brilliant actually you mentioned earlier that you're performing at some festivals tell us about your performances coming up um so tomorrow i'm doing a festival called wilderness which um sounds really special i've never actually been to it before but everybody raves about it and then um, on Sunday, I'm doing a really big pride. I'm at Brighton Pride, which is one of the biggest prides in the world. Oh, uh, yes. So yeah. That, that's going to be glorious. Uh, last weekend, I did two. I did camp, uh, Kendall Calling and Camp Festival. Next weekend, I've got one in Scotland. I've got one called Diva Fest up near Liverpool. Um, it just kind of keeps going on like that, really. I've been really, really lucky. It's a lovely full diary. Uh, there's festivals every weekend all the way right through to October. Um, and I really love it. I think playing live is is still one of my favourite things. And in some ways, I love what I do more than ever, really. And so getting out there and, you know, I like festival crowds because you do get people that have made a point of coming to see you, but you also get people who are like, mm, I'll give it a shot. And I like the challenge. I'm there to like, <laughs> I'll try and win people over if I can. I'll take my little window of opportunity and try and drag them onto the dance floor with me. Oh, that's so cool. Hypnotize single we spoke about a little bit earlier. Is this a preview to a new album that's coming out? The single on its own own two feet at the moment. I've just finished another record, um, which I've done with uh, Ed Harper. But that one will be coming out uh, next year. Oh, so cool. at the moment, the um, the song with Woe is just a standalone thing. Okay, excellent. Now, mm. well, maybe we might do more. Who knows? I mean, that's the way music works, isn't it? Yeah. So And do more stuff as well. Your experience of South Africa. Have you been? Well, I haven't actually ever been, and I feel very sheepish admitting that because you're not even that far away from me. And also, I know it's supposed to be beautiful. And funnily enough, Sophie, the director I was talking about before, we've talked before about coming to South Africa to film a video. So um, fingers crossed. I think I just need someone to book me for a festival yes. or a show there. And then that's that's always a good way to first get an excuse to come over. Yes, so, yes. If anyone wants to book me, I'll come and sing. <laughs> okay, so when you hear when you hear and when you come, if you come for a music video, if you need anyone in the background, I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah? you can okay. book me for that. Oh, or, I'll take you up on that. Yeah, definitely. Or and we'll go for coffee and all those type of things. With Nick, I'll make oh, sure yeah. Nick joins us when he's here as well. Yes. Cool. Perfect. That sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm gonna put you on the spot. 
your top five favorite songs by other artists? Oh, well, the first one that popped into my head is Don't Leave Me This Way by Thelma Houston. So there's been lots of versions of Don't Leave Me This Way, but that's the real seductive classic disco one. Then I'm going to go for Like a Prayer by Madonna, because I honestly think it's one of the best pop records ever written. Then I'm going to go for something from my indie roots. So uh, I think today I'm going to go for Disco 2000 by Pulp. Okay. Just because, I mean, it could have been anything by Pulp or Blur, but I think... I heard that on the radio the other day and it still sounds fantastic. Yeah, um, so that's three. Um, then I'm going to go for something by Ed Harcourt because he's been such a long time collaborator, but I think he's honestly such a talented man. So mm, I think I'll go for one of his early singles, actually. I'll go for Born in the 70s. Okay. Um, and then finally, fifth one, I think I'm going to, um, hopefully you don't think it's a bit cheesy, but I'm going to go for something by my husband's band. So okay. he's in a band called The Feeling. Yes. And when we got together, he was just finishing up writing the first album. So that album became the sort of soundtrack of our sort of early dating and our having our first baby. So from that, I'm going to go for Fill My Little World because it's just a really glorious pop record and has so many happy memories attached to it. I love that top five. Are there any artists that you would still like to collaborate with? Oh, God, yeah. Do tell us. All the time. <laughs> All the time. I mean, I think the thing that often fascinates me actually is is working with other women because I think you know that really good duets with women vocalists mm. you know there's some awesome ones but they're not it's easier to do a love song with a male voice yeah. so i think i think i'd quite like to do something with a load of like so a load of women voices i think that'd be really really fun so that might be something i'll try and turn my hand to but yeah i mean i think some of my favorite you know collaborations and moments that i've had have been totally unexpected and you know, quite often not my idea. So that's the thing. You've got to be open to new experiences, yes. haven't you? So you, when those situations came about, was it a situation of you like, mm, I'm not really feeling it, or you just went into that heart and mind open? Um, well, I think you've got to have your, your gut response. So I think, you, you know, your tummy normally tells you. I think if something, if the worst thing about something is that it just sounds a bit nerve-wracking, I generally say yes. Okay. Because I think saying no because you're nervous means you should probably do it. Yeah. But if you're if you're saying, if, if you're something in you says no because you just don't think it's the right time, then it's okay to go with that too. But but no, quite often the answer is yes. I mean, I think, you know, it's just really fun to be a bit playful. And, you know, what we do, making making music, especially in my world of, like, pop and dance... If you're not keeping that enthusiasm, then what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> you're not supposed to be grumpy about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and pop is supposed to be fun and joyful. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The podcast is listened to, obviously, in South Africa, but throughout the world. So as a final message to our listening audience, what would you like to say? Oh, well, aside from please can someone find someone who can book me a little South African gig or two, please. <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I suppose... Uh, I think I've been incredibly lucky to still do what I do and you know still at this point I'm 43 now and I still start each day with a little excitement in my tummy of like what what might be happening next so so for anyone that's helped support me in getting to do what I love thank you so much because I really do adore it <laughs> so this is a celebs with Sophie Alex Baxter signing out 